Welcome to the Wisconsin Football Coaches Podcast with your hosts, Tom Swiddle, Tom Yashinsky, and Paul Navinsky. Now let's join the guys. Hello and welcome to the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association Podcast. I'm Tom Swiddle, head football coach at Wauwatosa East High School and past president of the WFCA. I am joined by my co-host, Paul Navinsky, former head coach at Mosini and a WFCA Hall of Famer. Paul, how are you? Oh, outstanding. We're getting more snow again, Tom, uh, which is neat. Uh, I haven't, the snowmobile trails have not closed yet, so I'm excited, but I'm really excited about our journey that we've been going on with this conference realignment. Um, I'm excited to actually have a coach on tonight, but uh, Tom Yashinsky couldn't make it. He's got parent-teacher conferences. He did kind of fill me in a little bit uh, about some things he wants to know, but I, I, this topic is really getting a lot of interest. I probably have gotten 10 to 15 emails and about 20 calls from, from coaches I know that are kind of just asking more questions, which I think this discussion is awesome. Well, Paul, and you've kind of summarized it, but for the last two podcasts, we have concentrated on the football-only conference realignment. And what I'd like to do is just go through what we've done on the podcast. Uh, two podcasts ago, we had former WFCA president uh, Doug Sarver on with us, and he was a member of the 2019 football-only um, conference uh, committee. Um, that was a committee that was headed by the WFCA, and the WFCA led that initiative from start to finish. Our last podcast, we had WIAA Assistant Director Melissa Gehring on. Melissa handles the administrative duties of the Conference Realignment Task Force. Melissa expertly explained the process the Conference Realignment Task Force follows and some of the ins and outs of that process. So I would say to listeners, if you haven't um, listened to those two podcasts, you may want to go back and listen to them before getting into this one. A lot was talked about and explained. Now, tonight's podcast comes a day after the WIAA approved most of the realignment task force recommendations for football. After reviewing 10 appeals, which represented 18 schools, the Board of Control approved the plan for all eight player and all but eight 11 player conferences. The conferences and the schools associated with those remanded will be reevaluated by the task force at its April 11th meeting. The final consideration will be presented to the Board of Control April 25th, when the final football-only conferences plan will be implemented for the 2024 and the 2025 seasons. Our guest for this podcast is the coach at Pewaukee High School, Justin Frisky, and I've probably never interviewed somebody who has, um, in less than 24 hours or maybe a little over 24 hours, um, had something this big happen to them. I, I think that the Pewaukee High School is kind of the poster child for this whole football-only conference realignment. What I'd like to do is just sort of set the table, if I could, and just give some background on the situation Pewaukee has been put into. Pewaukee is a school of approximately, right now, 850 students, and they were put into the Classic 8 Conference, a conference that has schools much larger than Pewaukee. In the Classic 8, you've got a school of around 2,100. You have three schools that are right around 1,700. 
And to put it really into perspective, the second smallest school in the Classic 8 is just under 1,200. Justin, wow. I, I can't believe those numbers. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not only the size of the schools, but the quality of the programs that are in the conference as well. I mean, I think the Classic 8 for years has been uh, recognized as one of the top conferences in the state. Uh, this past year, Kettle Moraine is a state champion in Division Two. McWanago was the runner-up in Division One. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a really great conference with great schools. Justin, you and I spoke last week, and I told you at that time I had no insider information, but I said to you that I didn't think there was any way Pewaukee would remain in the Classic Eight. Boy, was I wrong. So I've had to throw out a lot of the things I was planning to talk to you about tonight with this podcast <laughs> now that, you know, this thing went down yesterday. So I'm going to start with this question, uh, Justin. From the very start of this process, Pewaukee High School was surprised. You had no idea you might be put into this Classic 8 conference, did you? Well, it actually was never even a proposed move. Uh when we looked at all of the, the probabilities or possibilities that were presented last fall, at no time were we placed in the Classic 8 in any of the configurations that were presented as something to be reconsidered or considered for, for potential changes. So it seems like at the 12th hour, uh, this is what transpired a couple months ago, and no one's willing to back down from what is clearly a a decision that I think was made in haste without a lot of foresight. And uh, it, it honestly is disappointing that the Board of Control uh, was not able to take a look at this and see it as a, a very curious, to say the least, decision on, on their part to allow this to continue. I mean, we, we really felt like the Classic 8 would be remanded for further review and uh, cooler heads would prevail or wiser minds would prevail and we would see that there is just a discrepancy that's a pretty pretty egregious Paul Justin just so our listeners are clear and we talked off air on this Pewaukee High School has appealed and and obviously a negative process of this from the get-go when it was initially came out that you would be going into this conference correct yes uh you know one of the things that was troubling about the entire process from our perspective is that being a school that was not included in any of the probable changes or possible changes, we felt no need to be, I guess, uh, proactive and appealing. Uh, that was an interesting piece of information that was returned to us after the fact that we should have appealed regardless because we could have been affected in any of the outcomes, even though that wasn't something that was uh, communicated very well or something that we seemed was even reasonable to do. I mean, why would you appeal proactively to something that you don't know is going to happen? Um, quite frankly, uh, the change putting us in the Classic 8, I think, is just uh, an easy way to solve a complicated situation. And uh, we just happen to be the, the pawn that gets moved into into that piece. It's, uh, it's a decision that I think has still a lot of people scratching their heads. I've had you know, several coaches, friends of mine in the area, uh, even not from the area, reach out. And uh, even in the process between January and yesterday, I had a multitude of people reach out. and Their their thoughts were similar to yours, Tom. You know, no way in the world are they going to continue to allow this particular thing to happen. Um, but they uh, 
the WIAA never fails to surprise us. Yeah. Well, you told me how you found out at, at the very start, you know, I, again, you, you described how, you know, how can you appeal something when you don't even know you're a part of it. Right. And um, can you take us back to the, when you originally found out that Pewaukee was put into the uh, classic eight and how you found out, I, I think this is like fascinating, like how it, it almost like woke you up. It probably took you out of a deep sleep or something when when you got the call, but go ahead, Justin, yeah. kind of talk about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close with our conference commissioner, uh, Ken Schimpf, who uh, is, you know, a really well-respected official and has been a great advocate for our kids in the Parkland and the Woodland football conferences. And uh, the day of the vote uh, or the day, uh, I believe it was in January sometime uh, that these changes were being presented. Uh, he got word of it early. Um, you know, like around noon or so, maybe 11. And so I was, was not sleeping, although I was eating lunch. And, uh, <laughs> I was only kidding when I said that. Yeah, but it did wake me up. Uh, he, he came into my room and he just said, I, I have some news for you. I want to be the first one to tell you. I feel like, you know, out of respect, you should know that this is happening and that, um, you know, I ask that you just don't share it with anyone until after the press release comes out. But he, he shared that information with me about noon. So I sat on that for a few hours. And um, to be quite frank, at no time did I say to myself, this is going to be seen all the way through. Like, it, it's just too obvious of a misfit for the, the WIA not to at least take a longer look and see if there's a better fit. Um, you know, that being said, being a coach and being a competitor, you do start to kind of map things out and say, well, if this doesn't change, um, what is our, what's our clearest path, right? What, what are the, what are the ways we can attack this and what are the things that we have to do systemically within the building to adjust and to bring ourselves up to the level of the classic gate. So, you know, I, in the back of my mind, I've kind of had two different conversations going uh, the one that says status quo. And then the one that says, if it doesn't change, here's the things that we have to do. And so, you know, I now only have to have one conversation in my head, which is nice, but uh, it wasn't necessarily the one that I was expecting to have. Paul? Well, and again, this is a this is for two years, and yep. then the process will can possibly start over again. Um, what what adjustments are you thinking? Obviously, it seems like this is ready to go. What adjustments are you thinking that you're going to have to make? Well, I think the first thing that we have to convince everybody of is that this isn't a death sentence. If we are if we are destined to be in this league, then we're destined to be in the league. And so we have to find ways that we're going to be able to compete. We know that we're not going to have as many players in the program as these other schools. But the reality is this. You can't play more than 11 at a time. And even at the best programs in the state, and many of which are in the Classic 8, they're not playing 60 or 70 kids on Friday night. They're still playing a smaller number. Now, that number might be greater than the number we can play, but it's a lot closer to our numbers than I think a lot of people might realize. So I don't know that while their pool might be bigger to pull from at the end of the day, the number of kids that they're going to have playing is going to be very similar to the ones that we're going to have. Uh, we're probably going to have to take a look at changing the way we operate our program a little bit. Uh, we have been, uh, you know, a, a one platoon kind of a team with multiple kids going both ways. If we want to stay healthy and create depth, we may have to open that up a little bit. Our best kids are going to have to play both ways, like every program in, in every part of the state. But 
we may end up actually being able to grow our program in some ways because we're going to have to provide more kids with more opportunities to play simply from a depth standpoint. So I think first and foremost, we have to look within our own program and say, how can we create depth? Because that's always going to be a real challenge in a league like the Classic 8. And then beyond that, how can we create better athletes? What can we do with our weight program? What can we do holistically in our athletic department? Because if we want to be a driver of improving and getting our entire athletic department to the next level, this is the way to do it. And so we have to look at it as a coaching staff and as kids and saying, you know what? Here's an opportunity to take what we think is a good football program and try to elevate it into something that's even better than what it is. And we have to if we want to compete. And so I don't think that our kids are going to back down. I don't think our coaches are going to back down. I think what we have to get through everyone's minds is that we cannot feel sorry for ourselves. We cannot sit around and wait for the negative things to start piling up because they will. Uh, We have to be proactive and we have to attack this challenge head on. Uh, And we have to be able to put our best kids in the best position they can to compete and try to win games. So uh, it's been a kind of a whirlwind 24 hours in my head of trying to wrap myself around it. But the reality is we've got this season and the next off season to get ourselves as ready as we can be. So, you know, my message to our guys is going to be moving forward. Like we got to approach this conference season in the Parkland like we're walking into the classic gate. So our mindset has to be of that. Our, our approach has to be that way. And we've got to, we've got to come out really on the attack and, you know, really trying to improve our quality of play across the board um, so that we don't have to take another massive step in the off season between 2023 and 2024. You know, the three of us are all veteran coaches. We've been around a long time, have seen a lot of things. And um, what you just described, Justin, is, I mean, the the exact tact that you have to take. Um, I have never been put in a position like the one you're in. But there have been positions that, you know, we've been put in as coaches running a program where everything comes from the top and it filters down. My point is, if, if you were to do nothing now, which is not you. I know you, I know your personality. I I know what kind of uh, man you are, but you know, if you took the opportunity now to make excuses, be very negative, speak out against it, et cetera, you know, you would give everybody in your program, every player, every parent, the opportunity to do the same. Instead, what you described is Okay, do we like this situation? No, but what can we do? And the fact that you have a positive attitude about it right from the start, I think is going to pay dividends for you. I know you can compete. I know what kind of coach you are. I mean, you guys have been one of the top programs in the state over the last three or four years. Um, You've won a state championship. Um, You know, you guys know what you're doing. And you will compete in the Classic 8, that I know. It's just a matter of, like you described, compared to the teams you're going to play in there and the numbers that they're going to have, you know, what can you do to continue to win like you're winning right now and do so in a league that's more difficult than the one you're currently in? Yeah, we don't, we won't get any off weeks. And, you know, it's, it's a catch-22. I, I think we have a really good football talent, but I, I think that, 
you know, immediately last night I was on social media and there were some people that were already, uh, you know, on the, the mindset of, well, these kids in the classic gate are giants. They're, you know, a hundred pounds more than our kids or what happens if my kid gets hurt? Cause he doesn't, he's 50 pounds lighter than the kid he's going up against. And the reality is this classic gate is deeper, a lot of talent, really good players. Are they all a hundred pounds bigger than our kids? No. Um, I think that yes, across the board, some bigger kids, but we've played against and beaten teams that had bigger kids. And We've seen what that is. It's going to be different doing it every week. Uh, we're going to have to, again, think about creating better depth. And that's where the weight room and our weight training program has got to really kind of come to the forefront. Uh, our kids are going to have to really prepare their bodies uh, for what it is to be in a classic eight season. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate. I've had experience coaching in the league. Now it was a while back, but it was still one of the, the preeminent leagues in the state at the time that I was coaching in it. And so I understand a little bit about the dynamics and what has to happen. And we're going to have to find some creative ways to win football games. Uh, when I was at Pius, we were never the most talented team in the league. Uh, and we got better every year that I was there. And the last year we found ways to win close games and came up with a conference championship. So I know it can be done and I know it because I've been a part of it. And, uh, the biggest thing is the kids and the buy-in that they bring to the table and their belief in what the coaches are doing, what they're doing. And then the messaging that happens at school, at home, and in the community. Uh, positive messaging, can-do attitude, and just putting your nose down and getting to work and, and not really quitting until the job is done. Uh, that's what it's going to take. That's the type of stuff that happens in the league already. That's why McWanna goes as good as they are. That's why Mosquito is as good as they are. It's why all the pro programs are as good as they are, because they have that type of mentality. We just have to bring that same mentality to the table. Um, we have kids that have played against these guys coming up through youth football since they were in fifth grade. Uh, they know the kids. Uh, in this day and age, these kids all know each other. I mean, social media connects everybody, but um, they know, and it's it's not a secret. We just have to be tough-minded. And, and positive and go into this season, 2023, in the Parkland with the idea that we're going to play like a classic eight football team. Paul? Yeah, I, I, Justin, I think you absolutely have the right mindset. And obviously this is going to be ups and downs. My, my question for you is, are you thinking about adjusting your non-conference schedule? I mean, obviously during the season, you're going to face teams that you know, competitively are incredible. And obviously I think you're going to get two non-conference games. Um, are you thinking about making that adjustment where maybe you don't play such great competition where you don't have the injuries or, or things like that? Right. Um, well, we already have one game in the, on the books, so I guess we can't really back down from that one. I think our second game though, we may have to be a little bit more prudent. Uh, we, we have Brookfield Central on the non-conference schedule this year. I don't think, given the fact that we may have a crossover with them, scheduling them in the second week would be a wise decision at this point. So we're going to have we're going to be in the market for a team for sure. Um, it's really it's challenging. I mean, we have been kind of in the market for non-conference games for a while, and I'm I'm great friends with Patrick Wagner at Riverside. We've had a really nice run of playing non-conference games against them. Um, that contract is going to come to an end after this year and we're going to need to look, but I'll be honest, there's not a ton of teams that want to play us non-conference. And generally the teams that want to play us are bigger than we are anyway. So I'm not sure 
what our selection is going to look like, Paul, to be honest. Uh, but considering that we have uh, the challenging conference slate following, uh, we may want to take a look at, you know, being being a little bit more prudent with who we select, but at some point beggars can't be choosers. So uh, we'll have to find what's right. and We're going to have to make a decision on that, but uh, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll get something. I mean, everybody needs to play non-conference games and so we'll, we'll make it work. Yeah. That's, I, I don't even know what the relationship is. inverse relationship. It's, it's like the more games you win, the, the the less chance you have of finding a conference a non-conference opponent yes. the more games you lose everybody wants to play I, I've been there both right. ways so what has been some of the feedback that you've gotten from um, members of your program be it players things specifically said by them or per, or perhaps specifically said by parents what what are some of the things that have been said to you well, I think generally parents are just concerned about the safety of their kids and they see it as a safety issue because I don't know how well educated our parents are on the realities of high school football. I mean, the Classic Eight has a great reputation, well-deserved reputation, uh, the SEC of Wisconsin kind of a thing. And so with that comes a lot of preconceived notion about the kinds of players that we're going to be seeing week in and week out. Um, not all of that is accurate. I think a lot of things get built up in people's heads because there just isn't a lot of familiarity. We're surrounded by all of these programs, but because everyone's at our games on Friday night, no one really sees those classic eight teams um, week in and week out. Uh, the only one that we see is Captain Memorial, who's a former classic eight program. And we've seen them at the height of their powers, you know, 2016, when we played them in level four, um, they were an incredible football team and they were classic eight champs. You know, they were as good as it got, uh, but I do think that in the recent years, we've been very competitive with the Catholic Memorial. I think that we have the opportunity to continue to be really competitive. And we just have to get past the idea of, oh, no, it's name the team, right? Um, yeah. And that happens. I think we create a narrative in our heads sometimes about a team and we can't beat them and this and that. And I can tell you, while we haven't gotten on the winning side of the games, I know our kids right now going to the Catholic Memorial game believing they can win the football game. That wasn't the case five or six years ago. Um, we're going to need to have a learning curve. We're going to have to figure some things out as we go. But, um, you know, the kids that I've talked to are right now mixed as they might be. They don't really know, like, what we're getting into. Um, but I know that I've had some kids come up to me and just say, I can't wait because we're finally going to get a chance to prove ourselves against these teams in our, in our neighborhood. And um, it'll be great to see what we're, what we're made of. And I do think that, you know, anytime you're in a league that's not the Classic Eight, you want to know how you would compete in the Classic Eight. Uh, I think the great teams in our area, Franklin, Oak Creek, Sussex Hamilton, et cetera, like those programs would love to know how they would fare in, in the Classic Eight because that's the litmus test in our area of the state. Well, whether we wanted it or not, we get that opportunity. So, you know, we're in a we're in a position that other schools would love to have and uh, we need to embrace it for what it is, which is a great opportunity to see exactly what we are about and uh, how good we can be. Uh, I do think that the challenge of playing great teams forces you to elevate your level and it forces you to be more focused, better, 
more locked in and just better prepared week to week. And uh, I, I don't know how that can be a negative, you know, in terms of what it takes to prepare. And uh, we, but we've got to prepare, you know, that's the piece that can't be missed. And so we just get back to it and, and we, we up the ante and we know that the intensity has to be cranked up. And, you know, as a coaching staff, we're going to be challenged to get ready for teams that we've never seen before. So it's not like you have a library of film on these guys that you can go back into and uh, take a look and, you know, see how they played you in 2017 or 2018, which is what I have on a bunch of teams in our league because we've played them for so many years. So, you know, the learning curve for us will be different too. We're going to, we're going to be seeing things for the first time in a lot of cases, and we're going to have to really, really coach our butts off to make sure that uh, we have our guys ready for schemes that they may or may not have seen before. Paul. Yeah. I, I think Justin, you have the right mindset and, in Pewaukee, I think you're, I think you're going to do fine. Like Tom said, I'd like to change gears a little bit and talk about the process. So this yeah. doesn't happen again to somebody else. You know, what, what are the solutions that you have been talking about or thinking out there, you know, that possibly should be implemented in the future? Yeah. Um, with no, <laughs> no crystal ball, it's hard to know what direction we're going to go, but I think ultimately my take on this whole process is that it's leading us down the path to an all-play playoff. Uh, I think the major driver for all of these schools that are asking for relief in one way or another is the opportunity to qualify for the playoffs and be in a league where they can win the majority of their games. And my belief is that changing conferences is not the answer. Um, I don't think that just changing who you play is going to fix things that might be broken on the inside. And I don't want to speak ill of any other programs because I don't know what goes on in other programs. And there are different challenges everywhere. But unless you have something that is well-organized, well-run, and supported from the bottom up, it's tough to win against anyone, no matter the size of the school or the, or the league that you play in. And so those issues have to be fixed first and foremost. But it's tough when you're fighting an uphill battle with wins and losses. So I understand the desire to move into a different league to find relief. I just don't know that that's ever really worked out for many teams. If we look historically and we try to take a, a peek at teams that have done that, I wonder, has it really worked out for them or not? And my feeling is it probably hasn't. Uh, that aside, we need to put a, we need to put an end to conference jumping and conference switching. I think it's bad for the game. I think it's bad for kids. It's bad for communities. You want to have rivalries. You want to have traditions. You want to have community energy wrapped around playing your arch rival or the big game. And when you're changing the uniforms that you're playing every two years, it's hard to create any tradition. It's hard to create those rivalries. It's hard to create anything that generates buzz. So if we eliminate the, the playoff qualification for a second and we just pre pre-divide our teams up into six or seven divisions. I mean, you, you name the number. I, I think that at that point we can take a long look at what our conferences look like. We can balance our conferences again, based on geography and enrollment, like they should be. And we can have like-sized teams competing against like-sized teams for the entirety of the season. So your classic eight might look a little bit different, but it would all be division one football teams. 
that are in Division One for the playoff, and they can play each other through the season, and then they play other Division One teams for a state championship. Same with Division Two, three all the way down the line, and we can do that in 14 weeks. We lose based on the numbers that I've kind of done just. Uh, offhand, we can do it in 14 weeks. We have an eight-game regular season, and we start the playoff in week nine, and we get to the same place after 14 weeks. And um, I know that the WFCA has worked really hard with the WIAA to create additional postseason opportunities, extend the season for teams, et cetera. I don't know that we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think there are ways to continue to do that, uh, to provide teams with the opportunity to play more games if they choose. Um, but it would make a lot of sense in my mind if we knew what our field was going into the season and we knew that we were going to be playing against like-sized teams for the entirety of the year and that we had an opportunity to really just give these kids a real experience of playing like-sized schools, et cetera. And if we want to throw in an SES modifier, things of that nature, we can have that conversation. But I do know this, like that's going to cause teams to move up or down, and that may not be what they prefer to do. Uh, you know, and with the competitive, uh, with the competitive play thing that they just introduced to the tournament series, um, I'm curious to see what that what that does because you may end up with teams that ask to go down, and by happenstance, a team that has no business being moved up gets moved up because they just happen to be the team that's on the cut line. So I think the biggest thing for us to do is, at least from a football perspective, is reverse engineer the season. We need to start at the end and work our way back to the beginning. We need to have a viable, reasonable playoff procedure that's going to give the opportunity for all teams to participate and then build it backwards so that we can create conferences in regions that are that make sense from an enrollment standpoint that don't give too much travel uh, where it doesn't need to happen and promotes the game and creates consistency for schools so that rivalries and traditions can continue to, to exist. Paul? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Justin, have you looked at other states? Have you looked at some of the other things other states are doing? Um, you know, what, much like you said, I, you know, some of those states put you in this division automatically before the season. And yeah. you can actually get points for playing schools larger than you, or you can lose points playing schools that even if you win based on that. And I've often wondered if maybe we're not, you know, if we're not taking a close enough look at what other, because other states are facing the same thing we are. Yeah. The one state that I've looked at a little bit more deeply than others is Ohio, and they have a system very similar to what you you mentioned there. Um, now, football is different there, though. I mean, it's a it's a religion in Ohio, and I think people really are all about making it, you know, the premier athletic event in the state every year, the, the state championship for Ohio football. Um, it's important in Wisconsin as well, but it's not quite to that level. Uh, but I do think that there's a better way to do it. And I've been a proponent of how we do our playoff for years. I love the idea of qualifying for the playoffs. I think it is a badge of honor and we are proud to say that we've qualified 18 consecutive years at Pewaukee high school. I mean, that's, that's a hell of a deal for us to be able to talk about and to wear on our chest and to say, you know what, we do things the right way. And here's, here's the proof. You know, we, we qualify year in and year out. I've always thought like, 
the one thing that makes it different is you can say without having to win state titles and things like you've got a quality program because you're in the playoffs and you've qualified. You've at least met that minimum standard every single year. Uh, and then when that happens, you can get yourself to a position to compete for a state title, et cetera. Um, I just feel like we're past that point though. And we are, we're into a point now where, you know, we're, we're grab bagging and we're trying to find answers um, where there may or may not be actual answers, but we we're looking to provide relief. We're looking to create competitive equity. We're looking to balance geography with enrollment and clearly it's not working as well as we had hoped. So we maybe need to reconsider everything from the end coming backward and, and talk about how we can do this better so that the coaches and the kids and the communities are served as well as they possibly can be and that, this, that, that the sport of football continues to grow. I mean, I would, I would hate to be in the situation and I've been there so I can speak to it where you know going into the year, the playoffs are a non-opportunity. You're just not going to be good enough. And it's hard to motivate kids to go out there every single week knowing that there really isn't any reward at the end other than the chance to close the gap on your competition. And, and hopefully within a year or two, we start to see all of that work panning out. But, you know, a lot of those kids never get that opportunity because they've graduated before that. And the postseason is a special time. It's great. For those of us who have coached it, we know it's just different. Justin, I, I got to tell you, I, I have a lot. These are other podcasts, but there's a lot of things I've thought about our playoff system that's wrong, like playing state championship games at 10 o'clock in the morning. I, I've often thought that that's not always great. And there's a, these are other podcasts, but I, I definitely think there are models and things that we could do to alleviate this. The one thing I don't like to see is where we might provide relief for somebody else, but on the flip side, we're causing problems for other people. And I don't like that, you know, robbing Peter to play Paul, going back and forth like that. And I think that's something that has to enter into this discussion. Yeah, the unintended consequences of anything are the, the difficult ones to measure, right? You don't know what you don't know. And so until something egregious happens, you're not really even, you didn't even really know that it could have been a possibility. Uh, to me, in this particular situation, there was a chance to right what was an obvious wrong in terms of a bad enrollment fit in a league and the board of control passed on the opportunity to do so. And that tells me that the people that are on the board of control are not in touch with the realities of high school athletics in this part of the state. And that's disappointing because these are the people that are there to represent the, the, well-being and the best interests of all of the students in all of the schools in the state. And in this particular case, they completely passed over an opportunity to fix what was an obvious wrong. And so now it's going to be incumbent upon us to make the best of, an, of a, of a, a non-preferred situation and make it a preferred situation. And to me, that's unfair. Um, we're going to do it. Like, we're we're going to do it. And we'll do it with a smile on our face because that's the only way that we can do it and do it well. But the reality is that board of control missed an opportunity to fix a wrong and they missed it on several fronts. When you look at the way that they did not remand the majority of these conferences that were realigned. 
I mean, the the nonsense that's happening in the Badger Conference right now with Port Washington and Plymouth having to drive potentially to Mount Horeb for a conference game. Now, I get the the folks up north are going to say Superior does it every other week. And that's true. And my hats are off to those guys because it's a whole different experience up there. The reality of the southeastern part of the state is that that never should have to happen. We have too many communities that are in close proximity with schools of like size. It should never have to occur that a team travels over two and a half hours for a conference game. It just shouldn't happen. Dustin, that's an example I pointed out of solving somebody's problem at the expense of other people. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's it's kind of ridiculous, honestly. And I mean, if, if we want to get down this rabbit hole, like I think the entire playoff seeding process is flawed because we are still unclear about what the algorithm is that that computer is using. It's never been transparent. And we, pre walkie I will speak, feel like the last two years have gotten questionable seeds. Uh, and we don't know why that seeding process went the way it did. We were we were uh, seven and two this year. And we lost two games by a total of nine points to a team that went to level four in division two and went to the state title game in division four. And we got a four seed. And to me, it just speaks of a giant flaw. And that's us specifically. But when you talk to the guys at Muskego and and McGuanigo, they can tell you how ridiculous it is too. You beat a team head to head and then you're underseeded when you see them in the playoffs. There's something wrong with the algorithm. And if nobody's willing to just be transparent and have that conversation and say, yes, obvious problem, let's fix it so that we don't have this problem again. But it's this idea of, no, we have to, we have to kind of deflect and we have to dodge and we don't want to attack this thing head on and just, and, and just say, yeah, first year running a new program, there are some bugs we, we need to work out. Well, and fix the bugs, but be transparent about it. Uh, you know, the one thing about in all play is I think you do have to rely on a computer system for seeding. You do have to rely on PowerPoints and those things to get a fair and balanced bracket. But if we are not going to be transparent with what the computer is measuring, how in the world are we supposed to schedule appropriately? How in the world are we supposed to set our kids up for success if we don't even know what we're being measured on? So... While I do think we have the opportunity to to move forward, we've got to we've got to be brave enough to admit when we're wrong, and just fix the mistakes instead of passing it along or just saying it's someone other, someone else's problem to solve. Yeah, and and you know, th- there are so many things that we could talk about that are in in line with what you've just said, Justin. Um, it, it just is. I mean, one year we were eight and one. And we were a five seed, didn't even get a home game, you know, right. and, and that was when coaches were voting at the seeding meeting, you know, and so that wasn't perfect either. You know, there's, there's just, isn't any, any, you know, one way to do something that's going to make everyone happy. But I agree when you look at some of the things that's happened with seeding over the last couple of years, there have been situations where you just scratch your head and go, how is that possible? Yeah, but anyway. It, it, with our situation right now, too, I think the most disappointing thing that we have encountered is a lack of transparency, once again, from the WIAA regarding how the process was implemented, the rationale, and then from yesterday's vote, an explanation. And we're still waiting. 
it's, it's 24 hours later and we're still waiting for an explanation. If you're going to make a decision and you know you're going to make someone mad, you at least need to cop to the decision and explain yourself. Um, we know that they, we don't really have any recourse, and that's something that we've just got to come to grips with and move forward with. But it would be nice to have an explanation of what the rationale was. And that was going to be one of my questions. So between now and April 11th, when the task force, get the realignment task force gets back together, and then April 25th, when the Board of Control once again looks at whatever plan the task force comes up with, there's nothing that you guys can do. To my understanding, um, when I met with our athletic director this morning, I said in no uncertain terms, if you feel like you've got alternate routes to go to continue to, to battle this because we see it as just completely out of touch and, and uh, you know, un, inequitable, go ahead. Um, I'm going to leave that to the administrators to do. Um, but I've got to go through this mental change and this mindset change now. Because I can't wait until the end of April or the beginning of May to have our kids bought in on what we need to do over the next year and a half. Um, and no matter what, we'll be just fine if we start now and we, we go forward with the idea that this is what's going to come to pass. So um, without knowing anything, I'm assuming that they will probably um, at least look at possible options of what might be available, but it's my understanding that there really isn't a whole lot of recourse at this point. But I, I know that there are plenty of coaches that are displeased with what happened to their school specifically, but also have reached out for no better reason than to just say, you must have really made someone mad at the WIAA because that's the only reason we can think of that you guys would be put in this position. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know what I did, but um, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I doubt there's anything that you or anybody uh, in Pewaukee could have done anything to to warrant, um, you know, what has happened. So it, it is what it is. And, and uh, um, I have to tell you, Justin, um, we could probably talk to, you know, 50 coaches who were put in the position that you have been put in. And I don't know that there's anybody that could have been as eloquent and as forthright um, and under control um, like you've been on this podcast. And I, I really thank you for that. And I can also thank you because I know how hard it was probably for you to come on this podcast, you know, a day after, you know, that vote. Um, so you've, you've shown a lot of class and that's, and that's how I know you. And I know that I speak for Paul and, and, and Paul may want to add to this, that we are grateful that you took the time to talk to us and explain your position and to, you know, get people thinking forward. What, what can be done in the future where this doesn't happen again? And, and well, this, this is the whole concept of our podcast. We're not here to judge anybody. We're here to get things out and start discussions so that we can make football better in the state of Wisconsin. We can promote players, coaches, and just create a better environment. And that's why we kind of created this idea of what we're doing. And I hope people listen to this and start to really understand what's going on and what happened. Well, I appreciate you guys putting me on. I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak on behalf of the kids and the community and our school. Um, you know, we are certainly a little bit shocked still with the move, but you know, 
at some point, you just have to decide that this is what the reality is until it isn't. And you live with it and you move forward with the best possible plan you can put together. And so till anything changes, we are we are looking forward and we are going to do our very best to be prepared to play in the Classic 8 in two years, but most importantly, the Park win this coming year. I mean, nothing's guaranteed. And so we've just got to be ready to get our kids ready to play and play great football again this fall. And, you know, our community will will rally around us. They always do. Um, you know, and I think we have a great amount of people who support us and they're going to be in our corner. And, and I look forward to seeing them, you know, travel with us as we as we take on everybody this year and then moving forward again. Um, so I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, you know, it's it's fun to talk about this stuff. It's it's more fun when you're not the one in the crosshairs. But uh, the reality is we're going to just give it our best and, uh, you know, we'll keep plugging away and doing what we can. I, I think. We do things right. We run a good program. Our kids know what to do and how to do it. And now we're just going to have to do it at a slightly higher level for a slightly longer amount of time. It's all right, though. Well, once again, Justin, thank you so much for, for being on with us. And, and we look forward to talking to you in the future and to our listeners. Um, once again, if you have anything that you would like to contact me or Paul or, or Tom Yashinsky about regarding the podcast, please feel free to do so. Um, you know, we're here to, to bring things to the forefront. So if you've got something that you would really like discussed on this, please let us know. And with that, we're going to sign off on episode four of the WFCA podcast. Good night, everyone.